Thank you so much, Stephen, for your time and for coming on today. Sure. Thanks for having me here. What was your favorite memory you share with your friends growing up? When I was like 11 and 12, I grew up in New York City, in Manhattan and Queens. We used to go and play touch football in the streets. So not in a football field, but in the streets, like where the car is coming back and forth. And we had so much fun. We would play every single day in the street and do patterns between cars and all kinds of things like that. That's a nice memory that I have with friends. And then when I was a teenager, I think when I hit junior high, I had some art teachers took me under their wing, noticed I had some potential, and they really nurtured me, helped me get into art school. Those were good memories, too. I'm glad you had that experience with those teachers. Yeah, I was very lucky. I was not on a good path until I took their class. I found them or they found me. If you don't mind me asking, I read how you had lost some friends who had battled cancer. Yeah. I was curious if you had any words of wisdom to anyone who's maybe going through grief right now. Grief is a really powerful and strange thing. And I think everybody grieves differently. I would say just be kind to yourself. Let yourself go through it, however painful it is. Someone told me once that when you have a loss, the moment when you lose somebody, for example, could be even an animal, right? A pet. That grief is like the rings of a tree. And so the strong strongest feeling is at the center of the tree, like the center of the ring. And then as time goes on, you start to spiral away from the center. Any given point, even like 10 years later, something can happen and bring you right back to that center for a moment. It's not something that I think you just completely get over, but I think you maybe have a better chance of healing in some way if you let yourself feel it and be kind to yourself and to others around you who are also grieving too. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I was being kind to myself by writing this script. I recently lost my sister and I struggled a little bit being kind to myself and I just had all these emotions that I just wasn't really sure and I was kind of confused and wasn't really sure where to put it all at. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Thank you. Older or younger? She was older. I'm the youngest of six, so all my siblings are older than me. (laughs) As I had read your script, it felt so personal, deep, and relatable. As I was reading about the mom character, who I forget her name at the moment. Mia. Mia. It made me think about my mom a lot and everything that my mom has done for me and stuff for my mom's done for me that I haven't even thought about or even know about. It just made me think about her a lot. And I was kind of curious, had your mom ever read this story before or whenever it was a play or screen? No, I don't really send my scripts out to family. I don't even ask friends. I mean, I feel like it's a big burden to ask people to read my stuff. It's not easy to sit down and read a script. The only way I feel comfortable asking, if I have another writer friend, we'll do a swap and read each other's work and give some feedback. Interesting that you said that because whenever I write something, I'm so obsessed with sharing it with my friends and family. And sometimes I write stuff that bothers them and so they won't read 
read it and it's like in back of my head it's like if they're not going to read it no one's going to even though it's not the way I should look at it and so that's interesting that you're not like that my wife reads everything I ask her to read everything because she's also a really good copy editor so she'll go through and find all my typos are you guys uh, parents if you don't mind me asking no I don't have any children just for fun for hypothetical if you were to make this film and you had a massive budget are there any specific celebrities or actors that you look up to that you'd like to be involved in the film or be in the film yeah there's so many good possibilities out there i don't know if he's still acting though who is the actor who was in back to the future uh michael j fox no, no, Christopher Lloyd. I think would be a great T Lux. Yeah, he would be. <laughs> as far as Mia goes, I mean, I think there's so many wonderful actors out there. I don't know. And then child actors are always hard to find, and I, yeah. I'm not aware of any 12 year old boys at the moment. Why originally? got you interested in wanting to write plays? What started me was in high school, one of the art teachers also directed the school play and he got me involved in the drama club um, and set designing. So I always had that sort of influence. And then in college, they asked me if I would design the set for the play they were working on. And I said, yes. And then from there, somebody saw the set and asked me if I wanted to work in a summer program, work with students to design a set for the show they were doing. And I said, okay, because it was a paid job. And then the following year, they asked me back, but we decided not to direct something that was already written. We decided to try to create our own. I just started creating shows from scratch, um, writing the shows with the students. And then I did that for many, many years. Um, and then just one day I thought, wait, like I can do this too like myself. I don't always have to just write with everybody. I can also write my own things. I just started doing that. I started writing plays on my own as well. And then I wasn't thinking about writing screenplays, but then one day a friend of mine and I were hanging out, having a beer or whatever. And I don't know why some idea for a movie popped up, you know, how you can sit with friends and shoot the breeze and hey, what if a movie was this and that, right? So we were doing that and we were playing around with this idea. And I, and I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to try to write it. And, I, <laughs> and that's when I started writing screenplays. So I'm back and forth writing plays and screenplays, even though it's really hard. Like I've never had a screenplay made into a film. That's one that I've written. I have had a screenplay optioned once and I've had a couple of plays produced, but not a lot. But I still love writing, so... I just keep plugging along. Yeah. Have you ever published a play like into a book? I had a play published for a few years with this uh, publishing company called um, Off the Wall Plays. It was the publishing company. It was a British company. So they had my play for a couple of years. So they had my play on their website for about five years. Every once in a while, I would sell like three or four scripts from them. Like some school or some people would purchase. Um, but... Um, I never had a play produced because of them. You know, like people find plays like on Samuel French and Dramatist's Play Service or whatever those different platforms are where there are published plays. I never had a play produced from that website. So last year I asked them to take me off. So I, I just felt like it was a waste of time for the play to be on there. So I'm no longer published. <laughs> and there was this screenplay competition 
If you're chosen, they create a cover page a image for your screenplay, and then you could go through the process and, and have your screenplay, and they format your screenplay for Amazon. And so it's a competition where you put your screenplay up on Amazon, and this this company is publishing your screenplay as a piece of literature. And the way you win the competition, the writer who gets the most people to read the script becomes the winner. I was accepted into that, and then after more research, I was like, you know what, this doesn't seem like a good thing to do. So. I didn't do it. How come it didn't seem like a good thing for you to get into? Something felt a little weird about having my script up there that's not been produced, made into a screenplay, and put on Amazon as a, something to read and try to get all my friends and people I know to go and read it. And it wasn't free to read. You'd have to pay ten bucks to read it. The writer would get some percentage of that. I didn't feel good about asking friends and contacts to pay ten bucks and go read my play. At first. It sounded like a real cool idea, and then I thought about it more. I didn't realize that the writer had to do all the work. So the publishing company didn't really do any work. The writer has to do all the work, and they're making money on all the work that the writer is doing. So it felt a little scammy to me. Yeah. Were you ever in a school plays growing up? I was in a school play in in kindergarten, a play called The Planets, and、um, I played Jupiter. I wasn't in the school play after that. Did set design for school play after college. I was in some plays. What plays were you in after?、Uh, I was in、uh, Waiting for Godot.、Uh, I was in the musical The Music Man, but mostly I was directing. Were you ever in a play on Broadway? No. Okay. I'm just curious. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> never, never, never close. <laughs> What has been your favorite play that you have written? Not screenplay, but play or screenplay or play. Skywriter is really up there as one of my favorites. I'm also just finishing a draft of a new screenplay that I right now I'm really happy with, and that one's about a. Twelve-year-old boy navigating a toxic situation where he was left behind by his mother with his mother's alcoholic boyfriend. So I'm feeling pretty good about that one right now.、Um, I wrote another piece that I really love. It's an animation script about a dragon that I I really like. Um, I was curious through Skyrider,、uh, Benny seemed like. He communicated through his drawings. Yeah, and、uh, I was curious: Do you find yourself、uh, often visual communications? You draw a lot, and how you communicate with people? Oh, yeah, because I'm also a visual artist. I do a lot of drawing and painting as well. Skywriter thing that is going on in that script is that Mia, her fantasy world is triggered by her son's drawings. So. He's just really like this twelve-year-old kid who loves to draw and has like these fun ideas in his head and draws. Although he did do draw the did the drawing of Sarah.、Um, he and Sarah, the one his friend who died. I was trying to create that kind of like the drawings. Benny's drawings are the trigger for Mia's fantasy world, but her fantasy world is rooted in her trying to. Take care of, help him, take care of him, but also rooted in her own deeper fear,、um, and soul, and her soul wound, which was what happened to her when she was eight years old, and had to watch the aerial 
performer's plane crash. That was the idea. Did you base any of the drawings that Benny did off of drawings that you've actually done? Yeah, as a matter of fact, so when I first started working on the play in like many years ago, one thing I, I tried to do is like, I, I find myself like I have to write freehand before I can really go into the computer because I felt like every time I go onto the computer to, to write, I feel like somehow it has to like perfect. I write freehand because I don't have that feeling of like, oh, it has to be perfect and it slows me down. When I wrote the play, I deliberately did some things to slow my process down. So what I did was I went out and I bought an old manual typewriter, you know, the kind that you have to hit the keys, you have to push down hard because they're not easy to just type, right? So I went out and bought an old manual typewriter. And so the first thing I did was I did a big sketchbook and I wrote scenes and I collaged images and I drew. My first draft of the script was this messy book filled with dialogue, with ideas, with pictures. I did all that first. Then after I did that, I went and I typed up the first draft on this typewriter. And it took me forever because, you know, I can type a little bit on the computer pretty easily. But on this manual typewriter, I could only go like this. And I would often hit the wrong key. Oh, and, after, so, and I also thought, well, I'm not going to try to like white out the mistake. I'm just going to go back and do X's over the, the corrections. So this draft that I have is like this total mess with X's and crosses. So that was my first typed up draft. And then after that, I went back and started typing into a computer. I deliberately did that to slow my process down so that I could force myself not to be perfect. I mean, it sounds weird, I think, probably, but it worked for me. I don't do that with all my writing. <laughs> I do, I do freehand with my writing first, but that process was really crazy. But it was fun, too. Anytime I try to write, I have a bad tendency to try to perfect it. And it's like I never get the first draft done because I don't allow myself to make mistakes. Oh. Even though, and it gets frustrating. I got to learn to not do that. <laughs> the first draft, I think you have to just write it fast. Like, just get it out and don't go back and do any revision. Just get out the first draft. And then after that, you can go back. Someone once told me, said, write drunk and edit sober. Write yeah. drunk. So, like, just go and write the thing. Just go. Don't look back. And then after you finally get through the first draft, then you can go back, start to adjust all the things that you want to adjust, you know? Okay. You should try it. <laughs> also something called um, the most dangerous writing app. If you Google the most dangerous writing app, it'll bring you to a website. And so what the website is, is it, it gives you, I think the minimum time you can set up is three minutes or maybe it's five minutes. So you start writing on it. And if you stop writing for more than five seconds, you lose everything you just wrote. Oh, wow. So you have to keep writing. And then when, if you reach the time limit, then it saves what you did. Kind of a good exercise to free write where you're not, you're just letting things pour out of you and not worrying about what's right or wrong, you know? You should okay. try it. It's crazy. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely give that a try today. That sounds interesting. <laughs> that story you're writing that you said you kind of think of as an animation, what is it about? 
Um, so it was about um, a dragon. So it was um, this dra dragon is, starts out as an egg in the mountains with its mother. It's a big earthquake in the mountains. The egg is dislodged from the nest, falls down the mountain and into a river and down the river and finally comes to an area where they're building a, a bridge and a dump truck and a crane picks up this mud and gets the egg and the egg's put in the back of a dump truck and the dump truck's leaving to dump all the dirt somewhere and the egg bounces off the dump truck and lands in the back of a pickup truck of a spinster duck, an old duck. And she goes home and she discovers the egg and she brings it into the house and she tries to hatch the egg. And the egg hatches and it ends up being a dragon, which completely surprises her. But she adopts the dragon and she brings it to school, but it's made fun of. It's kind of like uh, the ugly duckling, but it's a dragon. There's a war that starts. So the dragon ends up having to grow up and fight in the war. It's kind of that story. Do you think visual communications is just as important as verbal communications and should be taught the same as reading and writing in schools? They both go hand in hand. Visual communication is really important. We're constantly reacting to visuals in the world and and also the way when we talk to people and communicate, we take, get a lot of cues from them visually as well. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching visual communication, you mean like reinforcing like people taking art classes and dance and theater and communication classes and that kind of thing? Possibly, yeah. Because I was watching this uh, documentary while I was prepping for the interview and it was talking like all the benefits of visual communications and studying visual communications and how that you have to have visual communications because it's another really good tool to have to communicate with somebody if you don't know how to describe something you can just draw it like if you're working on a car with your dad and he needs a tool and you don't know what a wrench is he could draw it and use that to find right. a wrench yeah yeah well, also writing screenplays is visual first. You know, that's the first thing that you try to do is communicate visually what's going on before you rely on dialogue and stuff. I know you said that you have a messy um, sketchbook as your first before you start typing, but do you have to have like certain ideas in your head before you even allow yourself to draw or do you just go at it? I'll have an image or I'll have an idea. If I see it or it pops in my head, like I have, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'll write down the idea of the image. And then I don't start writing. If I keep having to think about it, if it keeps coming back over like days or weeks or whatever, and it won't go away, I'll start free writing or drawing and starting to figure out what this is and if there's a story there that's the way I kind of approach it and if it starts clicking then I just then I it sort of takes over and I just go ahead and work on it I'll give you an example I was in a storage unit the other day and you, have you ever been in a storage unit uh yeah so there's a maze of hallways and walls and storage units on both sides and it's right and I thought oh my god this would be a great environment for a horror movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can see that <laughs> but then i was like okay i can't believe that 
nobody thought of this before, like makes no sense to me. So I Googled movies with horror movies with storage units. And of course, there are horror movies that use storage units. So, but it still is in my head. So I don't know if at some point I'm going to have to try to write something. I don't know if it's a whole movie that only takes place in a storage unit, storage building with lots of units, or if it's just a scene in a movie that I write, or if I just don't do it, you know? Yeah. What's the process behind freehand drawing? Freehand drawing means that you're not just, you know, it's not like you have a coloring book and it's already like there are already lines there. Freehand is just you have a blank piece of paper, you have a pen or a pencil, and you just start drawing. Freehand okay. is like it's it's always a stop and start. Like you you draw a line, another line. You know, it's just in the process. So it's it's different than writing. I think years ago, I took a workshop in in screenwriting, and the the leader of the workshop said that she, what what she recommended which I don't do at all anymore, uh, was that she writes about 10 pages a day. So she'll write 10 pages. And then the next day, before she work, writes the next 10 pages, she goes over the 10 pages she wrote previously and makes adjustments if she wants to, to those 10 pages. And then she goes ahead and writes the next 10 pages. I did that for a while, but that ended up being really tedious for me. And so I prefer just going ahead and writing and getting through the whole thing without going back until it's done. A lot of writers recommend that you write a certain amount of pages every day. problem I have is it takes me, I write really slow and it takes me forever to write three, four pages. So after you write, does it get faster for you to write a page go through it a lot faster no i i don't i'm not recommending that you write 10 pages a day i'm not recommending that anybody write any amount of pages a day. <laughs> right um writing is difficult and i think there are some tricks you can do things to help yourself so for example one thing i do was when i'm writing i generally stop like before i finished a scene like right before i finish a scene I'll stop so that because I want to finish the scene, but I'll stop so that the next day when I write, my energy is like, oh, I'm really, I'm ready for this, you know? So I deliberately sometimes stop. A couple of years ago, I was working on this play that I wrote. After several drafts, I was like, I hate this play. I hate writing this play. I don't want to write this play anymore. But we were trying to keep, make the play stronger and stronger. And I was like, done. I didn't want to do it anymore. But I knew I had to, but I couldn't get myself. So what I did was I said, okay, I'm just going to write for 10 minutes. I'm just going to work on this play for 10 minutes every morning. That's it. Just 10 minutes. Even if like I start, I want to write more, I'm just going to work for 10 minutes. So I started doing that. And I did that for a couple of weeks until 10 minutes became 20 minutes. And I still like, okay, it's only 20. I'm working on it for 20 minutes. But if I only work on it for 10, that's fine. So I didn't pressure myself to write a certain amount of pages. I just tried to do things to get my excitement back. Right. I mean, I'm a slow writer too, actually. I wouldn't pressure yourself about how many pages you write. If you were trying to write a novel and you wrote one page a day, one page a day, in a year, you'd have a first draft of a novel, right? 
right. instead of sitting down and having to bang out 10, 15, 20 pages, which I guess a lot of writers do. I'm not that kind of writer. I can't, I can only write about two hours a day. Right. So then you either run out of ideas or you're burnt out of it for that day. You're not burnt out of writing, but it's like you, you need to do something else. So you have your creativity. Yeah. I find that when I'm writing, I'll write for two hours. And then later on in the day, I'll go for a jog or for a long walk. And the story's going on in my head and ideas start popping in. So I'll just make sure I, I have my phone with me. So I'll talk into the voice recorder about an idea that popped in my head. So. And it's crazy because I've been recommended by that. I, I try to do that in my everyday life because sometimes you get a really good idea at the weirdest moments. Yeah. Someone at work had kind of helped, gave me an idea for a, a comedy uh, TV series about this um, low-paying dishwasher whose dream is to make dishwashing a sexy job. Uh-huh. So I was like, that's really funny. And maybe I try to write that, see what I can make of it. Can make it funny, or if I make it bad, then maybe uh, try, try writing something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know writing is very tough and long, brutal process. Was there ever a moment you just wanted to give up or just step away from that project? Yeah, all the time. What gave you the uh, courage and grave to continue at it? I don't like leaving things unfinished, I guess. I feel like I've failed if I give up, and I don't like that feeling. I often think, why am I still writing? Period. It feels impossible to get a movie, a, a screenplay sold and made. And I know it happens to people all the time, but... It still feels impossible. And it's also really hard to get a play produced. I often think, well, what am I going to be, you know, in my 80s? Am I going to be surrounded by a pile of unpublished, unproduced plays and screenplays? And like, so why? What's the point of that? I I get into that, you know, headspace about it. Yeah. You know, sometimes things are really weird, but no matter how weird it gets, it might happen for a reason. I mean... I mean, not that I'd want this to happen, but if that were to happen, maybe somebody down the road sees something in, while you're at your nursing home full of these uh, <laughs> screenplays, and they they, they want to uh, want to take it and try and make something. And maybe at that point, you don't care if it gets sold or anything, and so they take it, and then maybe 10, 15 years later, something massive happens. You never know. Right. I like that image of being in a nursing home. (laughs) Piles of scripts around you. Yeah. That's pretty funny. How did you keep the dialogue and story rich and not boring? Whenever I write, I feel like the dialogue is so boring a lot of times. I think you have to lock into your characters and let them talk. Like, follow what they want and what they need and how they go about getting their needs met. The clearer you are about who they are, then they'll talk to you and you can, I think it's just practice, you know. You can go through your dialogue too. Some writers have done this, like you cover the names of the 
characters and you just read the dialogue and you can tell if all the dialogue sounds exactly the same, like it's the same character speaking, then you need to go back and look at what you're doing. You want your, you want your characters to have their own little idiosyncrasies when they speak, you know? Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Felt like the dad in the uh, last uh, Sky Rider, I felt like even though he was an important character, he wasn't as important as Mia and Benny, but he was still an important character and had a role to play. And I was curious because he had less dialogue than Benny and Mia, but was still a vital character. Was he hard character for you to get to know inside and out and get to let him speak? Was it hard to know what he would say? No, it wasn't hard because I knew what, like, it was clear to me what that family was like and what they were struggling with and who he was and who Mia was. Um, it was also important that he he had his way of dealing with Benny's illness, which was a little different than the way Mia was dealing with Benny's illness. So, yeah, it wasn't hard. What are some lessons you have learned in writing this screenplay? So the biggest challenge for me in this screenplay was really making the fantasy sequences really clear in terms of moving the story forward. And because there's so many fantasy sequences in the play, and that also the climax of the, of the screenplay happens in fantasy, which I think is weird. That was really challenging. And I think the thing I learned about it is like, really formatting fantasy, like making it clear whose fantasy it is. Like, it's really important that we know this is Mia's fantasy. So actually in the script, I even bold-faced those things. Maybe this is true with any script. And each time you start, it feels daunting again. But like, just trust. Don't doubt. Trust and just work through it, you know? I mean, the other thing it taught me is like, because because it was originally a stage play, I really had to let go of a lot of things that were in the stage play to write this screenplay. And so so I had to trust that I would, would be able to find new things that worked for the screenplay, that if I used the stuff, some of the stuff in the stage play, it wouldn't work in the screenplay. Okay. So I, I, I had to sort of have some faith that I could do that. Is there anything you would like to say or talk about that I didn't ask or know to ask? No, I'm grateful to Cosmic Film Festival for choosing the play. Yeah. That's really nice. So thank you for that. I want to say one more thing. There's a wonderful screenwriting studio called Write Your Screenplay. They have workshops and classes that you can take and I've been working with with them and I with uh, in a workshop and I have a mentor and it's really really helpful because there are other writers there and we share pages and we get, give each other feedback and there's a mentor who helps guide the feedback I think they're really awesome this particular studio is really there for writers and really takes care of writer's process and imagination. So anyway, I just want to make sure I plug them because they've been very helpful to me.
Last question. Where can people go to learn more about you and stay updated? I have a Twitter handle and I have an Instagram handle and I have a, a website that has my, my visual art on it. Thank you uh, so much for your time.